Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. How many know what time of year we are presently in? Somebody say it, one word. Well, I guess several different words would apply. That applies too, Polly. Really, I was thinking more uh, carnal uh, than spiritual. The time of year. It's the holidays. That would be one fitting word. Christmas time, maybe. Um, Every year, it seems like I scratch my head and think, already? Christmas already? This soon? But it happens. It's It's one of those things, though, that I don't mind coming back around every year, once a year, because of the subject matter involved in the celebration and the holiday itself. Perhaps the greatest thing, uh, greatest reason for having a holiday on the calendar, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. And uh, so we, with the permission of the Lord this month, are going to talk about some things relating to that in the Sunday school class here on Sunday afternoons. And today, I want to start out, Brother Terry, if you'll get us started with the Christmas story and a particular angle uh, to think about when you think about that baby Jesus placed in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes by that little teenage, uh, just young mother. And uh, I'm sure that that day, besides facing all of the uh, challenges there are for ladies and families, in bringing a child into the world, and especially that particular moment, uh, the birth itself and the hours leading up to that, we just added the third, or the Lord added the third grandchild to our family at 2.02 a.m., 2.12 a.m., Saturday morning, December the 3rd, little Josiah was born, and uh, we thank the Lord that yeah, thank you for that. We thank the Lord that Josiah was born in the hospital instead of uh, in the uh, SUV on the way or even in the garage of my son's home because that could have happened. Uh, we got word at 10 till that they were headed to the hospital and 20 minutes later he's here. So, uh, we'll get, I'll let my wife tell you that, the details of that story somewhere else at some other time. But I look at that little baby laying in the manger there and think about all that must have gone through Mary's mind and Joseph and the uh, swirling series of events that surrounded that uh, birth of the Lord. They had to make a trip all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And uh, she gave birth to this baby that we know was God, God in human form. And so I want to talk about the uh, fact that it will help if I turn it on, wouldn't it? Not just the fact that Jesus was more than a baby, but uh, he was God. Or so they say. Did you know that some people 
don't believe that Jesus was God? Well, I hope they're listening this afternoon because I want to talk about why we can be sure that Jesus was God. They asked the question, who was Jesus? Was Jesus really the Messiah? I'm going to talk about that word Messiah in detail today. And uh, the follow-up question, if you ask, is he, was he the Messiah? Follow-up question to that is, was he, is he God? Now, the Jews do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. When I say the Jews, of course, we know some individual Jews, several thousand, did believe in Jesus. They did believe he was the Old Testament prophesied Messiah, the one who was to come to redeem Israel, to deliver them out of all of their problems. Uh, several thousand, when he came, did believe and the church was born among the Jews. How many knew that? The first Gentile wasn't saved until way over in Acts chapter 10. It's in Acts chapter 2 we find God pouring out the Holy Ghost on the birthday of the church. And all those people in the upper room and those that came into the church that believed and obeyed the gospel that day and for several months, even years, at least recorded in the Bible, were Jews. But the majority of the Jewish nation did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe uh, that he was the one that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied of, one who would come one day and bring peace on earth. And that's what they were looking for. They believed, and as a nation... The majority of them, again, rejected Jesus when he came the first time. They believe that he's still coming. They're still expecting him to show up one day. They believe that he will not only bring peace on the earth, but that he will build their temple and that he will literally rule the world from Jerusalem. And the reason they believe that is because the Old Testament prophets foretold that. Uh, Muslims, let's talk about them for a second. Muslims believe in Jesus, but they too do not believe that he was God, the Messiah, come to earth. They think he was a prophet. Uh, well, they do in a sense believe that he is the Messiah, but not in the same sense that the Jews are expecting him to be. The Muslims certainly don't believe Jesus was God or is God. Now, what about we Christians? Christians generally, by and large, I hope uh, all of them do, were supposed to believe Jesus was the Messiah, came to earth 2,000 years ago, and that he is coming back a second time, sometime near to this time frame that we live in today. And Christians, by and large, also believe that Jesus was God himself in human form so the messiah let's go back to the old testament and try to crawl into the mindset of the jewish people and uh, look at what they had in their possession when jesus showed up two thousand years ago by way of the old testament scriptures and the prophets who foretold about the coming of the messiah now they believed the prophets, uh, in Jesus' day. Now, there were times in the Old Testament 
when the people of God, the Jewish nation, backslid. They didn't follow God uh, the way they should have. They didn't worship him. They even went off into idol worship at times in their history through the Old Testament. But by and large, they believed what the prophets said about the coming Messiah. They believed that he was going to appear one day. So let's look at what they believed. They believed in the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. Uh, Matthew 1, 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Jews put a lot of stock, value, esteem in heritage and in names and in the family name and lineage of passing down uh, from generation to generation and all that that means. So the word Jesus Christ literally means Jesus, the, the word Christ means the anointed flesh of God. So what did those Jews, when they looked at Jesus walking up and down the streets of Judea and the hillsides of Galilee about 2,000 years ago after he grew up and became a man, they watched what he was doing and they were, they were supposed to be, and many of them did, comparing what he did, what he said, to what those Old Testament prophets said that he would do and that he would say. And quite frankly, of course, we know hindsight's better than foresight, and we sitting here today in the comfort of uh, uh, our church setting where all our lives we've been taught the Holy Scriptures and we know what the Bible says, it's easy for us to look at those Jews when Jesus showed up on earth and say, how did you miss it? My goodness, how could you not recognize that he fit the bill, that he exactly, exactly, perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures that those prophets uh, uh, talked about, the things they said about, how they described Jesus. And when we get done with this lesson today, and most of you know most of the points of this lesson, you're going to say the same thing. You're going to scratch your head and say, how did the Jews miss it? Let's look at what they had to deal with, the scriptures they had right in front of them to compare the life of Jesus to. There are uh, probably over 300. Now, there are for sure that I could find 200, over 200 scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus, refer to the Messiah, refer to the coming anointed one, God coming to earth in flesh. Uh Many Bible scholars believe there were over 300. Most, if not all of them, believe that over, well over 200 scriptures can be found in the Old Testament that are direct prophecies about the coming Messiah. But I've chosen 25 uh, to show you today, just 25 of the major Jewish prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled when Jesus came to town. When Jesus showed up on the earth. Began with Luke 2.11. For this day in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the amplified version. Remember again the word Christ literally means the Messiah or the anointed one. So let's go. Prophecy number one. 
talking about was Jesus really the Messiah? Genesis 17 and 19 said that he must be of the offspring or a, a descendant of Abraham. In Genesis 17 and 19 it says, And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son. Indeed, thou shalt call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Now, anytime God spoke to a man uh, and used this kind of language, he was talking about more than just that individual and his kids and his grandkids. He was talking about his heritage, his lineage, his descendants forever. And he made it clear to Abraham and then went to Isaac and re, uh, renewed that promise to him that from your descendants is going to come this Messiah, uh, this Savior. Uh, it was prophesied, number two, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And uh, God, in picking out these details about how he was going to show up and, and the circumstances, said, I'm going to tell you which tribe I'm going to come from. It's going to be the tribe of Judah. How many know what the word Judah literally means in English? Praise. Isn't that great? That Jesus decided to come through that tribe that meant praise. Genesis 49 and 10, the scepter. Scepter was like a, uh, well, in the Disney movies, you see it as a, a wand, not a magic wand. It's what the king holds. It's a symbol, one of the symbols of a king's power. Scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. That's kind of a little crude, maybe, the idea, but it's talking about a man's, his loins or his seed. Uh, the descendants uh, of a human being come from the reproductive organs in a physical sense. That's what that phrase is referring to. Until Shiloh come. Shiloh is another Old Testament word for Messiah. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Isn't that a great prophecy that, that people are going to be gathered unto him? That's Genesis 49.10. Prophecy number three the Jews had to work with. He would be a descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Notice the capital B on that word branch. And a king, again capital K, shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. And in some uh, printings of the King James Bible, these last four words are all capitals. The one that I copied uh, on the Internet when I was pasting this verse did not. But many times you'll find them capitalized. The Lord our Righteousness. Now, I want to point out something at this point. Notice the phrase, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Many times God speaks and we misinterpret what he says because we are listening from our own perspective first. We are. Uh, we listen to God's voice, we read the Bible, 
and we interpret what we hear, what we read coming from God a lot of different ways. Uh, we're all different. The, the New Testament, uh, Paul said that the spirit of a prophet is subject unto the prophet, which means the Holy Ghost comes and flows through us and speaks to us differently. Uh, I, I might preach a, a message, a sermon one way, and you give another preacher the exact same set of notes and the time to study those exact notes, and he'll uh, get in the pulpit and preach the message perhaps in a totally different way. So the Jews, they read, they read these Old Testament scriptures, and they began to form in their mind an opinion, several opinions about just what the Messiah would do when he got here particularly what he would do for them, for the nation of Israel. When Jesus came, things were in a mess politically uh, and physically. The nation of Israel was under Roman rule. The Romans had conquered a lot of the civilized world except for the Far East. Israel was one of those nations that had to bow down politically and governmentally to Rome. And so when Jesus showed up, the political climate at that time was such that the Jews were looking for somebody to deliver them from Rome and Roman rule. Uh, I don't know if you've read much or heard much Jewish history, but during the time period that Jesus walked on the earth, before him and after him, there were other human beings, men, who rose up leading revolutionary movements. Uh, they discussed this in the book of Acts when trying to figure out what to do with the apostles. James and John had uh, healed the man at the gate of the temple, and the, the Jewish leaders were saying among themselves, what should we do? And they started talking about this man who rose up uh, 20 years ago, or that man, and 400 followed him in a revolution, etc., etc. And so the Jews were looking for a deliverer from that. So when Jesus came, many of the Jews did not believe he was Messiah because he didn't fit their picture of what the Messiah was supposed to look like and he didn't do what they thought the Messiah was going to do. They thought for even Jesus' own disciples, the 12 closest apostles, thought that. They asked him questions about it. Just before he left, he reiterated uh, there on the mountain outside of Jerusalem, just before he ascended up into heaven, he was making his farewell speech, and he reminded them uh, uh, that the Holy Ghost was coming soon, and, and he told, told them good things would happen. And one of them asked, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? In other words, will you get rid of, get the Romans off our back and let us become uh, an independent nation again and prosperous and safe? In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. So there are other prophecies in the Old Testament that the Jews looked at and they thought that means we're going to be politically delivered. We're going to be our own uh, kid on the block again. We won't have the Romans over us taxing us, killing us, and so forth. 
So I want to give you that little bit of background. It's important that we understand the Jews' mindset when Jesus came and why they rejected him for the most part. Prophecy number four, he will bring peace not just to Judah, not just to Israel, but to the whole earth. Micah 4 and 3 says, he shall judge among many people, rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. In other words, war is going to go away. Their spears, uh, weapons of war are going to be put to better use into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The Jews, as mankind always has, and even does today, longed for peace. War is a horrible thing. It is one of the most depraved, despicable, most tragic, uh, I can't think of enough bad words, things about this world. And that's one of the greatest things about when God comes to earth and sets up his political millennial reign and he takes over and he takes charge of this old earth that he uh, created. When he's in charge, he's going to do away with all that stuff. Prophecy number five, even animals will live at peace. This again is, is uh, talking about not the time period that the Jews thought they were dealing with when Jesus came. This was a prophecy that Jesus was going to be involved in, the Messiah, hundreds of years later. Let's read it. The, wall, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Children are going to be able to sit down next to a lion. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox instead of other animals or people. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. This is spiders and scorpions. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is talking about not just peace on earth among men, but even in the animal kingdom. God is going to make the earth to be restored to the condition that it was in before sin hit the planet. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, this earth was literally a paradise. And God is going to do that. He's going to restore this earth to that condition of paradise in his millennial reign. And then, uh, but the Jews misunderstood that. They, they were too close-minded. They thought the Messiah was there just for them for right then. The Messiah's throne will be in Jerusalem, Micah 4 and 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the Lord's going to rule from his capital of Jerusalem. Number seven, prophecy. Why is Jesus the Messiah? Well, it was prophesied that he will set his sanctuary in Israel forevermore, Ezekiel 37 says, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, 
whither they be gone or wherever they've been scattered in the earth. And will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all and they shall be no more two nations. This was referring to the fact that Israel had been divided for many years into the two kingdoms of Israel and Judea. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. My tabernacle also shall be with them. That's very important. The word tabernacle here signifies God living there. God, uh, the word tabernacle means house. God being God, not from a throne in heaven, but right there in the house with us. This is what the Jews were promised. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. We don't understand fully the weight of those words. My sanctuary shall be, and I've been reading words you couldn't read, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. In other words, God's saying, I'm not going to be somewhere high up in my heaven, separated from you, but I'm going to be right there with you, among you. My house is going to be your house. Praise God. This was the promise that they had. Number eight, the Messiah will come when all nations are gathered to invade Jerusalem. See, the Jews didn't understand that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming twice. The first time was for them to set up his spiritual kingdom, the church. But many of the scriptures in the Old Testament, see, you have to, what does the New Testament say somewhere? Rightly divide the word of truth. Many of those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus were about his first coming, but many of them were about his second coming. So the two are separate. So this is about the second coming. And when the Jews got them mixed up, then I guess I can see a little bit how they would be confused and say, well, he's not doing these things, so maybe he's not the Messiah. One of those things he's going to do is gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and a half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. In other words, as God fought for them many times in the Old Testament and won the battle for uh, Israel, his people, when their armies were on the battlefield and it looked like all was lost, God would send his angels in. You've read stories. I preached about them, how God would do that. God says to his people, the Jews, I'm going to do that again. One last time when all the nations of the world are going to be gathered against them, God's going to come on the scene at the last uh, second when it looks like all hope is lost and they're defeated. I'm talking about the battle that's in that valley of Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon. When God's going to come riding on a white horse, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and his saints with him. I don't know what part in the line, Sister Sarita, you and I are going to have. Would you like to be right up there right behind his horse? Okay. I'm sorry I threw her for a loop. Brother Fred said maybe we could uh, have some questions and answers sometimes during our Sunday school. So I gave him permission to raise his hand if he has a question, if it's on the topic. Uh, 
But I won't ask any more silly questions like that, sister. I don't know where you and I are going to be in that line riding on those uh, horses behind him, but the Bible says we're going to come with him, but he won't need us to do any of the fighting. Scripture says simply the word of God going forth out of Jesus' mouth is going to defeat the armies of the world that are coming against his people, the Jews. Praise God. Number nine, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Again, this is one of the prophecies that's going to come true at his second coming. It didn't come true at the first. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall cleave, that means divide, in two, in the midst thereof, towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley, very great valley. Half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half towards the south. Amen. Um, I've got to move on. I can't stop and talk in detail about all of it like I want to. Prophecy number 10. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. Zechariah 14 and 9. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Now, those are the first 10 that I chose to give you. There are some other Jewish prophecies about the Messiah that I want to talk about specifically the prophecy and then its fulfillment. Uh, it was prophesied specifically that the Messiah would be born in the little town. It's called the city of David because that's where David was from, of Bethlehem. Now think about this. Well, let me read the scripture. Thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. What a wonderful oneness scripture. Okay. Uh, out of thee shall he come forth unto me. So this is the father speaking, saying that I'm going to come to the earth in another manifestation. Yet we know that that manifestation, the son, Jesus, was God. Because then he goes on to say about that Messiah, Jesus, whose goings forth have been from old. From everlasting. Beautiful one, the scripture there. So, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? I don't know why God chose that particular city, except perhaps I can just theorize it was the city of David. It was David where uh, David was from. And David had a very special place in the heart of God. I won't go into that. God loved David especially. You'll never convince me that God doesn't have favorites. He can have a lot of favorites, but David was one of them. Amen. So, uh, how do we know that that was fulfilled? Because the Bible records that at the time of Jesus' birth, long about that time, uh, the Roman emperor decreed that all the people in the countries that Rome had overtaken were to pay taxes. And uh, they wanted the, the taxes, literally, that was one of the really difficult things the Jews had to put up with. They had to put up with physical uh, persecution, talking about from Rome and the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers were not kind to the people and the nations they subdued. But one of the, uh, one of the d most difficult things to deal with, one of the uh, 
most uh, terrible ways to get to somebody if you want to really get at them and make their life miserable is to hit their pocketbook. And that's what Rome did. And they taxed and they taxed and they taxed and they taxed some more. This was one of the greatest burdens that the Jews wanted whoever the Messiah was to get them out from under. Uh, So when Jesus didn't do that, they were disappointed and many didn't accept him. So Rome said, pay your taxes. This is a new tax. How do you do it? Go to your hometown and report in. Sign in and say, I was born here. And I don't know the details of how they determined how much tax you were supposed to pay. So Joseph took Mary, who was very pregnant with baby, and said, we got to go to Bethlehem. And that's how God got Jesus or Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right time for him to be born in that city and the Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Number 12, it was prophesied he would be born of a virgin. Not only the town he was born in, but that he would be born of a woman who had never had physical relations with a man. In the first place, that's impossible. From human standpoint, from human perspective. But when you're dealing with God, what does the Bible say? With God, nothing shall be impossible. And God really, he really hit the human race with a good one there to prove that that man, Christ, Jesus, was the Messiah. By having it prophesied, she's going to give birth to this boy without knowing a man physically, and he's going to be me. He's going to be the Messiah. Therefore, the Lord himself, Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel or God with us. And I've already mentioned the fulfillment. It was a supernatural sign from God that only God could do. Number 13, it was prophesied he would come riding upon the foal of an ass. Uh, I assume that means a youngster, a, a young donkey. Is that what foal means? I didn't look that up. All right. Zechariah 9 and 9 was one of those prophecies that said that. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation. But he's going to come in an humble way, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Uh, We know that that happened. We read in John 12 and 13 that they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set their own as it is written. Another prophecy said he would be betrayed by a close friend. We all know who that was, Judas. Judas Iscariot. Yea, mine own familiar friend, the psalmist said, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Let me point out something here very important. You know, you and I, not being Jews, might read this book without the direction and understanding that we have, but just somebody who's not really, you know, wasn't raised in church, doesn't know that much about the Bible, picks up the Bible and reads it and reads that verse. Most people, 99 out of 100 or even more, would not make the connection 
that this is talking about the Messiah. They would just read, oh, yeah, I've had that experience, or I know people who their friends have turned on them. Uh, and that might just skip completely over most of us without the background knowledge that we have. But those Jews, with this prophecy and all the other Old Testament scriptures they had, they knew that was talking about the Messiah. You may have wondered how that happened. That's why that happened, because they had this whole collection of Old Testament prophecies talking about the subject. But he lifted up his heel against me. We know that Judas was the one that actually betrayed him. I've got to hurry. Number 15, it was prophesied the betrayal price would be 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11 and 12. I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. That was fulfilled exactly. Judas said unto them, what will you give me? He was dickering for how much they were going to pay him to betray, to point out Jesus. And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted or bargained with him, negotiated for 30 pieces of silver. Prophecy 16, that betrayal money would be returned or at least attempted. Judas attempted to do so when he was convicted of it. And it would be actually cast to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now watch this. Let's read the prophecy. The Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter. What's a potter? It's a man... I guess, or a woman that has a wheel in those days in front of him connected to a foot wheel that you could kick and make it the table go round and round. And a piece of clay with water that had been moistened by water was put on there. And the potter would shape that piece of clay into a pot or a vessel. I'm going real fast because I'm running out of time. He said, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them, and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to read the scripture of, of fulfillment. And this is so interesting to me. It's neat. The chief priest took the silver pieces that Jesus tried to give them back and said, It is not lawful to put them back into the treasury where they came out of because it's blood money. It's the price of blood. There actually is a scripture that says that's illegal to put blood money into the house of the Lord. And they took counsel and bought with the money that Judas had uh, given back to them. And what did the prophecy say? It says, I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. It was actually in the temple when Jesus went back into the chambers, the back offices of the priest, where he threw the money down on the floor trying to give it back to them when they wouldn't physically take it. And not only did that scripture come to pass that the money was thrown down in the house of the Lord, but they took the money and did what? Bought a uh, potter's field, that's where the phrase has been, even in this country hundreds, thousands of years later, what's a potter's field? It's a, it's a place, it's a graveyard where a municipality, a city or a county, buries indigent or poor people who have no family or nobody to, to cover the cost of their funeral. Isn't that neat how God put that, de that much detail into a prophecy of the Old Testament that came to pass? 
Number 17, it was prophesied he would bear our sins. I love this scripture. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This scripture, ladies and gentlemen, was definitely fulfilled at Jesus' crucifixion. He was smitten. He was beaten with many stripes. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Praise God. Number 18, prophecy was that Messiah would be killed for our transgressions. Let's read another verse out of Isaiah. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified with two thieves. That's what that's prophesying. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We know that as he was dying on the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number 19, killed by crucifixion. In the Old Testament, the psalmist wrote, My do- The dogs have compassed me. Assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. Isn't that something? This amazingly accurate prophecy by King David was fulfilled when the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. Number 20, it was prophesied he would be given vinegar to drink. Now the last couple of prophecies have been, last several have been about the first time Jesus came, right? So that's where we are. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And John tells us that there was a vessel. Jesus said, I thirst while he was hanging on the cross. And there was a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop. And apparently that's some absorbent material. And put it to his mouth so that he could drink the vinegar. Number 21, the Messiah will be cut off. That simply means he will be killed. The phrase cut off in the scripture King James means to be uh, killed. Daniel chapter 9, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks. Daniel goes through a specific timetable here of the amount of time that would pass from in the Old Testament when uh, the king of Babylon would give them permission to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem from whence the Jews had been carried off as slaves. Then there would be this time period, and they would be uh, rebuilding the temple and build the wall, rebuild the city. And it says, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed, not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. This is Satan's army through the Roman soldiers. And the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be flood unto the end of the world desolations are determined that's prophesying about in 70 AD when Roman general Titus came under the direction of the Roman army military machine and they literally leveled Jerusalem to the ground and destroyed the temple so that a prophecy Jesus had heralded not one he looked at the tabernacle the temple one day huge tremendously beautiful structure enormous and said not one stone is going to be left on the other. And that happened uh, almost three decades later. Got to hurry. It was prophesied that they would cast 
lots for his garment. They part my garments among them and cast lots. That means gamble. Drew straws. I'm not sure exactly the details. But this is what the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus did when they were standing at the foot of the cross watching him die. Mark 15 and 24. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, cast lots upon them, what every man should take. Number 23, prophecy. None of his bones would be broken. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. It was customary. Let me read the scripture because some of you are. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other. These are the two thieves, one on either side of Jesus, that were being crucified along with him. Uh, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his bones. Here's what's going on here. It was a custom for a body to not be left on a cross when Romans were executing people over the Sabbath. Now, did they do this uh, out of the goodness of their heart or because they had a religious conviction against it? No. They were doing it because some uh, governor appointed by Roman wanted to stay in good graces with his Jewish counterparts, whoever the Roman officials would let uh, continue to rule among the Jews over each city and each town. And uh, Pilate wanted to stay in good graces with Herod, who was over the Jews. And so uh, the Jews, the Jewish law, God told his people in the Old Testament that no one was to hang on a tree over the Sabbath. So Sabbath begins at... Uh, Midnight on actually Friday night goes all day Saturday. And so they, I know we've heard the songs and the preaching about he was on the cross Friday and Saturday and then rose on Sunday. He rose on Sunday, but they had to get his body off the cross before the Sabbath started. I'm sorry, it started at 6 o'clock Saturday night and about dark because that would have been breaking Jewish law. So the Romans said, Pilate said, okay. So in order to do that, they, they weren't going to take the, the, the person they were executing off the cross if he was still alive. They, were on the, they had him on the cross to kill him. So if they came, I don't know, an hour before, two hours before sundown, whatever the time was, to somebody they were crucifying and he was still alive, and it was getting late in the day, they would break his leg bones because a person being crucified on a cross, the, the way they survive and live is to push up with their legs just enough to free their lungs to take in gulps of air. And when you take that ability away from a crucifixion victim hanging on a cross and they can no longer take in air because when you raise your arms up that high, especially if all of your weight is on them, your lungs are almost closed off totally, completely. You can't breathe. So you have to push up to be able to take in air. So they broke their bones so they'd go ahead and die quicker. Jesus was already dead. Now why would God have that put in the Old Testament list of prophecies about his death in the New Testament? Just one of the more two or three hundred plus reasons why we can believe for a surety that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He put so much detail into it. Number 24, made his grave with the wicked and the rich. 
Isaiah prophesied, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. That was fulfilled, we read in Matthew 27, when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own, Joseph's own new tomb that he had reserved for when his time came to be buried which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. It was prophesied, and it came to pass. He would be buried in a borrowed rich man's tomb. Wow, what detail. Last one I'm going to talk about today. His resurrection was foretold. This is a big one, folks. David wrote, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine capital letters, holy one, to see corruption. Let me explain this very briefly. The threat of a stolen body was a big deal because God knew that men were going to say, he didn't rise from the dead. What? Are you kidding me? Nobody does that. That's that's impossible. Didn't happen. Here's what happened. God knew people would say this. His disciples sneaked into that tomb, somehow rolled the stone away, and stole his body. And that actually happened. People said that to try to refute the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so uh, we know, of course, that Jesus came back to life, that God raised up that dead body with the same spirit, by the way, that's going to raise up your body and mine when it comes time. Praise God. Do the Jewish prophecies, let me just close with some brief comments here in general. Do they say, these Old Testament scriptures say that the Messiah will come to suffer? Or do they say he's going to come to rule the world? Well, we found they say both, don't they? They talk about those Old Testament prophecies, two to three hundred, however many they are. Some of them talk about the first time he came. And some of them talk about the second time he came. I think that's the main, the biggest reason why the Jews didn't get it. Why they didn't see that that was really Jesus. Uh, What else? Was the time of the first coming prophesied? Yes, it was. By Daniel. I've already read that scripture, so I won't read it again. The time of the, I'm sorry, the first coming. The time of the first coming was prophesied. We don't know the time of the second coming, though, do we? The church age, Paul said, is a mystery, including the length of time that the church is going to be in operation. But one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound, and the church is going to rise out of here. Amen? So who really was Jesus? Uh, Most Jewish theologians say that Jesus was simply a teacher. Muslims believe he was a prophet and the Messiah, but not God. But Christians believe he was both Messiah and God. And we oneness people, apostolics, believe that he was the mighty God in Christ, the everlasting Father in the form of flesh. Praise God. Uh, The Jews 
did not believe that God was or Jesus was the Messiah, that he was actually God with us, but the Bible says clearly that that's what that baby born at Bethlehem would be, Messiah or God with us. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a son, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. Isaiah prophesied that Jehovah would become Jesus. The Father would become Jesus in the form of flesh. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. This is Isaiah 12 and 2. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Does this mean that another God was formed? No. Do these scriptures that we've read here today and the other prophecies in the Old Testament that the Jews were given, do they teach us that, uh, that, that this Messiah that was to come to earth, that he was a different God from the one that gave those scriptures, that they worshiped for hundreds of years? Absolutely not. The first commandment of the ten that God gave Moses and his people on Mount Sinai says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So if another God wasn't formed, ladies and gentlemen, then what happened at the birth of Jesus? Well, God himself stepped into flesh. Who was Jesus? Was Jesus a teacher? Yes. Was he a prophet? Yes, he was. He foretold many things to come in the future. Was Jesus the Messiah? Yes, he was. And because of that, as we stand together, we can answer the question, was he God? With a resounding, absolute yes. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we have the Word of God today to let us know who Jesus was? Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's my Savior. He's the lover of my soul. He is my Redeemer. He saved me from my sins. He keeps me saved. And He is my soon-coming King. That baby born in a manger has become our God. Let's thank Him for it today. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise You for Your goodness to us, God. We thank You that You would show us, Lord, the meek and the lowly, the nobodies of this earth, Your great plans and their fulfillment. The God of this universe, you've imparted to us this great knowledge. And now we partake in it. And we revel in the fact that we know you in, in that relationship of being our Savior, Lord, Master, and Redeemer. We love you today. I pray your blessing upon everybody this Christmas holiday season at, at this church and our families and our 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 places of employment, everybody that we know. Help us all, Lord, to go through this holiday season with a greater understanding than ever before of who you are and what you want to do for us in our lives. We praise you for it. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. God bless you today. We'll give you a Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. 
service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.